everybody. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, the, I think, still the best strategy theme podcast online. I know we're not the only one anymore, uh, but we are still the best, and I am your host, Troy Goodfellow, uh, in a very cool October evening. Um, this is our last show of the month, and it is the first in a short series we'll be doing. Uh, we are very some of our most popular episodes are our classic game analysis shows where we take an old strategy game from the past and apply new eyes to it. So for towards the end of the year, we're going to be looking at a few console strategy games. This is not an area we cover a lot. It is certainly not my expertise, but fortunately we have very, very many intelligent friends who know a lot about these things. And it's a way for us to cover, uh, I think, some neglected titles and put them in the context of larger uh, game universe. So we have two returning voices uh, to help me through the first game, which is Final Fantasy Tactics, a 1997 classic for the PlayStation, which has been released for multiple platforms since. Uh, joining us, we have our sound editor and producer, whose name you hear at the end of every show, the amazing Michael Hermes. Hello. I'm excited to be here and talk about Final Fantasy Tactics. You're not on the show very often, but we're always glad when you can make it. And we have another returning voice, uh, someone who hasn't been on the show for a couple of years, but I still get a lot of emails and tweets and Ask FM's wondering when she's going to be back on. So we have a friend of the show, uh, Jen Cutter. Hey, guys. Good to be back. Uh, so, Jen and Michael, you guys are big fans of this game, uh, two people who came instantly to mind when we thought we would do a Final Fantasy Tactics show. This is something I've spent, I, I don't, don't know how many hours in, I know I'm not even near close uh, to being done, and I know very little about the Final Fantasy games and series in general. So, Michael, why don't you put Final Fantasy Tactics in context uh, with the Final Fantasy franchise? Sure. So Final Fantasy is traditionally known as a series of role-playing games, um, starting with the first Final Fantasy on the Nintendo and then moving to Super Nintendo and different console variations after that. And they all follow um, similar themes. There are similar characters between all of the different games, even though they're um, loosely related at best. Uh, but they all follow a very similar structure, uh, which is the classic JRPG setup of uh, bad guys are on the left side of the screen and you're on the right side of the screen or sometimes it'll slip. And um, now it's your turn. You do some spells. You pick which guy you're going to attack. And that's really the extent of it. Um, most of the tactical decisions come down to this guy's made of fire. So I'll hit him with an ice spell, um, things like that. And then Final Fantasy Tactics came along, and it completely changed um, the combat mechanics. And it added all sorts of extremely interesting decisions um, on a tactical, and we could talk about strategic level later, I suppose, as to how combat works. Um, Most specifically, you're in terrain and on these great maps with interesting uh, features on them, and your characters uh, get moved around like little chess pieces. There's interesting mechanics for facing, for how um, spells affect the area, 
the way combat is resolved, both in the turn order and, and trying to plan moves ahead, because not everything happens instantly. And overall, it changed um, the combat into something really, really, really interesting. And the best part, in my opinion, about it, and the thing that I think really made me glom onto the game, uh, was this jobs system. Um, and it, the jobs system allowed you to assign extremely varied classes to all of your characters. And it gave much more breadth than, say, white mage, black mage, thief. I mean, those are in there, but just really, really interesting things that, that I really grabbed onto and ran with and made me fall in love with this game for a number of reasons. Um, but those are those are the big differences. The story is kind of a convoluted mess that you'd expect in a Final Fantasy game. Um, the setting... We'll, we'll get on to that. Yeah, we'll get on to that, I'm sure. Um, the setting is an interesting one. It's a somewhat european-esque type in uh, final fantasy setting but i think the main things are the job system the combat system and the overall way that combat works um and those are the things that i really really grabbed onto and jen you are a big fan of the game as well and what are your thoughts on what really makes this stick out as a final fantasy game well, I had played previous to playing tactics i played the original final fantasy nes Fell in love with the job system there because I got to have red mages and black belts and thieves, all that fun stuff. Then, of course, Final Fantasy IV was the next one I played on Super Nintendo. And I just want to mention how that game starts really quickly because it does kind of tie into tactics. So you start Final Fantasy IV, you're a dark knight, which is kind of your first clue. And your first thing that you do in that game is you and your men go and punch some wizards in the face in a small town and steal their crystal. Which is a nice sign that, hey, <laughs> maybe you're not on the right side of things right now. <laughs> and, but it was still a pretty lighthearted story, all told. Then Final Fantasy VI comes around, goes into a bigger, darker story. Uh, kind of spoiler alert, halfway through the game, the world blows up. <laughs> <laughs> so they're trying to get into bigger issues with the Final Fantasy games. And then Final Fantasy Tactics comes along. And it is, I think, still the darkest story of any Final Fantasy game, including the most recent ones. You want to elaborate on that? This is a, 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 a 17-year-old game, yeah, so the spoiler... Yeah, I don't have to worry about spoilers, but I, I was asked to sum up this game to someone once, and I said, well, if you're okay with like those animes where everybody dies horribly, frequently, and sometimes more than once, Tactics is the <laughs> game for you. <laughs> so, Jen, you're not a strategy or war game person in general. You have some experience with them, but you've played a few... Uh, Japanese uh, strategy RPG type things. Where does tactics fit within that world? Because I know the designer also made Tactics Ogre before that. Yes. And after that. (laughs) And after that. So where does this fit within that culture, within that genre of first Japanese RPGs and Japanese tactical strategy RPGs? Uh, I am not the best person to ask about that because the Tactics series is the one I'm most familiar with. I've not Mm -hmm. played enough of Tactics Ogre to be able to speak knowledgeably about it. Okay. Uh, I have played other strategy RPGs, but more of like the cutesy stuff, because technically the first review, uh, the first version of Rhapsody, a musical adventure, was a strategy game. It had the grid, but it's not really a strategy game in, you know, the grand... The grand scheme of things, because the game uh, DS remake just removed the grid entirely and made it a standard JRPG. But in the context of in general strategy RPGs you've played, I mean, Final Fantasy Tactics has, I mean, when I was playing it, the first thing that came to my mind, the PC experience, was Panzer General. Mm-hmm. Because you have to level up your units, and you have to make sure you have the right ones for the battle coming up. 
And you don't want to waste your high-powered ones, but you also have to level up quite a, quite a few people because you don't know what you're going to be needing in the next battle coming up. So there's all this selection and choice uh, coming forward. Is that standard, or is that really something special to tactics with a wide variety, how, how big your party can get, and you can recruit new people? And you mentioned the job variety. Is this something people? Is this something unique to this game, or? Well, I had no idea what grind was until I played Final Fantasy Tactics. <laughs> yes. We have to talk about grind strategy. Yes. Everyone has a different way of going through the game. It's almost, I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the Final Fantasy V job fiesta. It's this big kind of charity event where you, you get a computer to tell you what jobs you need to play in Final Fantasy V and pass the game with. And I would love to see huh. something like that for tactics because there are so many jobs and so many ways to get to the end of the game depending on how much you want to grind. Like, if you want to pass yeah. a game with a whole bunch of geomancers, I'm sure it's possible. It would just take a very I, long time. I suppose. <laughs> I was just going to ask. Um, I, I tried... After I was playing Final Fantasy Tactics, and I hit it right about mm, 2003, 2004, right when it was like a Greatest Hits re-release, mm -hmm. I, I started looking around for other things like it, and I came across other strategy or... SRPGs or, or tactical RPGs, and the only ones that were out were uh, games by uh, Nippon Ichi, who I think they they were bringing games over from Japan, but they were so Japanese. Like for someone <laughs> who's not that. an anime fan or is or doesn't doesn't get it, like um, I'm looking at the list and it was La Pucelle Tactics mm -hmm. and mm. Um, uh, they eventually did, they eventually did Disgaea. I couldn't find it because this was still in the time where. The first Disgaea was like impossible to find. It was like a $60, um, which was ridiculous at that point for a console game. Uh, you couldn't get it. And there was one other one with demons that, oh, Makai Kingdom. No yes. idea. what could. I just could not cope. Um, so I, I, I didn't find any other strategy RPGs. And I think um, the closest thing recently, which I have to admit I've never played, would be maybe XCOM is similar where you kit your party and then you send them out for tactical battles. Troy? Yeah, I mean, XCOM's a, a good parallel because you do need to have, you know, your backup sniper if you're playing Iron Man, especially because in Final Fantasy Tactics, if someone dies, they stay dead unless you've saved it, just like in XCOM, unless you've, you know, backed up, um, someone dies. Uh, that's pretty much it. So XCOM is actually a pretty good parallel with a much less convoluted story, even though it has aliens in it. And not, you know, knights. And what is a chocobo? A chicken or an ostrich? Or it's kind of both. It's a horse, but it's a bird. Chicken. Right, bird horse. It, it's a bird horse. So yeah, I mean, XCOM's a pretty good uh, parallel, I think, for explaining how things work. But the difference is, I mean, suggest that I was puzzled and baffled by the variety. I, I've looked at some read-throughs and some walk-throughs and trying to understand all of the different classes and all of these abilities and how they match. And I know some people have played through this game multiple times. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure it's the kind of game that you explore and discover new things uh, as you come through it. Can you, I guess I'm going to ask, your first playthrough of Final Fantasy Tactics, How, if you've played it more than once, and I know, Jen, you've, you've revisited it, if not played through it, how does the first playthrough compare to the subsequent playthroughs? Is it, is it, with XCOM, it's a game that I've played, and I've played it repeatedly, but generally you find a strategy pretty early on, and it's a pretty solid strategy. You don't have to mix it up all that much with subsequent playthroughs until they give you some DLC that 
breaks your strategy. But Final Fantasy Tactics, it looks like there's all this kind of weird stuff you might want to explore just for the hell of it. So you want to compare your first playthroughs to subsequent playthroughs and how the both the RPG side and tactical side changed? Sure. Uh, for the first playthrough, I remember I played it immediately when it came out. They would had Final Fantasy on the cover. I bought it right away. That was, <laughs> all, that was all I needed. Final Fantasy, hooray! And my brother and I went home and we started playing. And it took about... 15 minutes when we realized we have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> so pause the game, read through the manual. This is before there were all these internet walkthrough sites. And basically went around pressing select on everything we could to figure out what it did. <laughs> We'd never played such a menu-driven game before. This is a game with a lot of information mm -hmm. buried inside. And especially for the original version, a terrible translation, <laughs> which was not <laughs> helping. But, well, you know what, we'll get to translations. Mm -hmm. a gr it's a great translation once it's taken away. Yes. Once it's gone, you're... Uh, <laughs> go ahead, first playthrough. Uh, so first playthrough, it, it broke some of the rules that we had come to be familiar with in Final Fantasy. If you had a character who was dying and needed to use a potion, Final Fantasy, you just go to item and use a potion. Now in Tactics, you had to be a specific job to be able to use that potion. So not only did you have to be a chemist, you also had to learn the ability potion to then be able to use it. And then, so let's say you, you know, you're, now you're a knight. Well, if you didn't equip item as a sub ability, now if you're dying, well, tough nuts, because you can't use items anymore because you didn't equip that particular thing. So there was a lot of hard lessons that way. With battles taking as long as they do, any kind of loss like that, any kind of time where you're like, well, I'm screwed, I'm going to reset, you lose a lot of time. But you get faster and faster as you make those mistakes. I think party composition is one of the things that will change a lot, too, with your first playthrough. And um, early on, you'll find that certain classes, like the... <clears throat> um, the black magic wielding wizards um, who have offensive spells, whether your fire, your ice, and your lightning, and things that work really well. Um, knights and melee and other things. But there are other classes that do more um, obscure things, like the oracle who has only status effects that it can, you know, put on the enemies. Um, and the, the time mages who are probably one of my favorite classes of anything in any RPG or class system ever. Could you um, explain that? Because I don't think I got to see a time mage. Okay, so a time mage, uh, they look like uh, Orko from He-Man, that little guy <laughs> with the pointy hat, and you can't see his face. Um, and they have great spells, uh, the most obvious of which would be uh, to slow down your opponent so they get to move less often, uh, speed up your guys so they get to move more often. But they also have things like uh, each class will have spells, a reaction ability, a passive, and then a movement. And their movement is a, a teleportation spell, which is, which is a great system where you can teleport close to you and you'll always succeed, but every square beyond your normal movement rate, your chance of success goes down by like 10%. So in theory, you could move across the map in one blink, but you're probably not going to get it. But that gamble is worth it sometimes, and it's really, really, really satisfying when it pays off. Mm -hmm. um, and they have one giant nuke spell, which is a lot of fun. But, you know, it's, it's a mage class that's more of a support um, and less of a direct damage type thing. And those are the things you might get into when you start playing around with things and you get tired of launching Ice 4 for the eighth time. And then there's, there's the really weird classes like Calculator, who involves math and numbers and counting and you have to look shit up um <laughs> there's a mime which 
I've played this game to completion at least three times. I've never gotten or used the mime or known what the hell it does. Um, there's hidden classes. You could go through a whole game and never know that you can get dragons. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find Cloud from Final Fantasy VII. Um, there's there's a lot of stuff in this game. Infinite dungeons. Um, there's just a lot to find, but you don't have to. Um, you can just play it through pretty straight. And there's great NPCs along the way. It's it's a lot of fun. And now, Troy, this was your first playthrough, and you were playing the original version. Is that right? I think so. No, you were playing the PSP version. Uh, PSP with the version. The new translation, and also because it had the tutorial, which I figured would save you a lot of time. Okay. Yeah, Jen was able to get me an emulator and a PSP version. She's quite handy at finding me things I need. For um, the ROM that you have a physical copy of, you just needed to run the backup. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I own four different copies of this game, so I, I feel okay. pretty okay. <laughs> We're covered. Yeah. But I like the new translation. I liked uh, I liked the tutorial. Uh, I like the help files. And also, it's just it's a lot faster. <laughs> so have you ever used a mime, Jen? I have used a mime. Mimes are really funky. It, it took me a while to figure out how to use it, because basically they get as many turns as you have units in your party. So if you have somebody who walks up three squares and hits someone, they're going to walk up three squares and hit whoever's there or hit nobody if nobody's there. So you can kind of, if you're really, really good at planning ahead, your mime can do some amazing damage because they have no skills of their own. All they do is copy what other people do. So it's more a mimic than a mime. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what mimes do in the uh, the Final Fantasy series. Okay. All right. So Michael, I have to ask... How many playthroughs uh, or how far into the game did you figure out calculators and how freaking amazing they are? It was it was one of my later playthroughs and um, I had a little guide as to how they worked and it was a lot of fun. Um, they're just a silly class. Um, <laughs> I got I, I got to pull up their skill list or something here. Yeah, like the first time I played through the game, I was using a lot of ninjas because I like being able to run up and hit somebody twice and summoners are handy. And then my brother's like, no, 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 you got to use a calculator. I'm like, aw, but I, I can't figure out how to hit anybody. They're like, no, no, no. So you got to learn, like, kind of a way to hit people. And then that has some other subgroups as to you can hit people who are, have these sort of stats, whether it's prime, multiple of three, multiple of five, multiple of four. It, it's a really complicated thing that once you figure it out, you're going to win. You can't possibly lose hmm. once you figure out how to use a, a calculator or arithmetician. And speaking of which, we should probably apologize because we we're kind of bouncing between the two different translations <laughs> for Final yeah, Fantasy Tactics because they change names, they change job names, they change some skill names as well. But hopefully we will be very clear about who's doing what. Yeah, right. A lot of them are the same, but a lot of things got changed, like especially ability names, mm-hmm. things that I, I felt like didn't need to be changed. Um, there was one or two classes added, I think, for the PSP War of the Lion version and iOS. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did... They did change the uh, the translation, which I actually, Troy, I thought you were playing the uh, the original version on a yep. PlayStation emulator. I sent you an obscure quote from one of my favorite lines on Twitter. You probably didn't get it because they changed it in the damn game. Ah. Was um, it the Spoonie Bard? No, it was, uh, was it Surrender or Die in Obscurity? I think yes. that's what I said. <laughs> Surrender or Die Surrender in Obscurity. Surrender or Die in Obscurity, <laughs> which fits my fate in most strategy games in general. I'm just not very good at these. Okay. So this is, we're talking about this largely like a role-playing game because it really, really is. It's a major role-playing type system. Uh, But with this amazingly, I think, quite deep tactical 
uh, strategy side, you're very limited in the number of units you can bring onto a battlefield. You can have a party of like two dozen things, and you can only bring what, four or five people with you. So you have to choose who's coming with you. Then you lose the battle and decide who's coming with you the next time, if you've saved it, uh, based on what you've seen and what you haven't seen. So there's, there's a lot of understanding you know, the terrain, because Michael, you mentioned how interesting the maps are, and they're usually interesting because this is largely broken ground. You're not fighting a lot of flat plains here. There, is, there are hills, there are trees, there are valleys, there are rocks, there's all the stuff you need to... Work. I didn't know I could get a teleporting guy eventually. That would have come in pretty handy when I'm surrounded by rocks and tigers that are swiping with venom claws. And that teleport ignores be... height. You can teleport as high as you want in the tile next to you. Good to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's all these... So the, the, the map design and the tactical battles and then going back and looking at your party and what you have and what you need, there's a lot of analysis, I think, that goes into learning the system. Um, now, Jen, you played this when you were a teenager and you didn't play a lot of war games and you and Jeff... Your brother got into this. There's the. Um, did you find it difficult to understand what was going on a lot of the time? I mean, a lot of the stuff is second nature to me. But for somebody who isn't into all this tactical stuff in general, but it's like with the role playing game system, was there an adjustment? Uh, there was at first. I, I did find it to be pretty intuitive with the way the UI was designed. So when I'm selecting my guy and I select move, I can see in blue all of the tiles that I can move to. Right. And then. Later on, it dawned on me, oh, if I don't move and if I use like a distance attack like throw and then choose to wait, I get to save some of my CT so that my, my charge time comes around faster again. So now I can decide, do I want to act and move or do I want to do just one of the two to save up for something uh, for a better move later? Yeah, this game uses an initiative type system where you everyone moves in turns, but you can save or reserve action points to charge up your movement or action meter And then, of course, faster. there's time ages, so you can cast haste and have things come around faster. And uh, what was it doing? Uh, so bards can also do some interesting things. They have a song new to the PSP version where they will make all of your team have a charge time of 100. So all of a sudden, all your guys get a new turn, which is amazing. Hmm. So, Michael... Talk us through some, some of the, the tactical stuff going on here. There is some flanking. This is not a game I expected flanking to be important, but in fact, there is flanking and there are rear bonuses for attacking in the rear and the side. This is actually, this is a real tactical game. Right. And I think what you're talking about, the facing rules make it very, very interesting. Terrain, uh, especially height, you get an advantage, yep. um, especially archers who are just crushing and you find this out very early like the first map where you see an enemy archer he starts way up high on this top of this building and will just decimate your team because archers do really well with height so positioning your characters and thinking not only how can i affect the enemy but one turn from now when their other guys get to go how am i facing and what's happening is pretty key tactically it teaches you or hopefully you learn pretty early that and a lot of times, your best strategy is to stay where you are, maybe cast a few buffs, but allow the other team to come towards you. Because invariably, you're going to have casters or teammates with low movement rates. You're going to send your one guy charging out in front, 
and then he dies and things just go downhill from there. Uh, so it may be counterintuitive and not as exciting, but I think their choice they made that to make it in your best interest to stay where you are, to to allow them to come to you and use the terrain to your advantage um, is, is really interesting. Um, and then as far as equipment, um, the standard RPG kind of uh, scheme applies. Somehow new towns have slightly better gear than the previous towns. Um, <laughs> you can find bonuses on various things. Um, so that's kind of, that's a little bit rote. But the, the, the classes and then the abilities and synergy between abilities is where most of your interesting tactical decisions come from. Strategically, I think it's strategic in the sense that you, you have party composition, right? And you have to decide, do I really want to grind up a team of seven or do I keep five core people, uh, spread them out among the most effective classes I have available to me? Or, or, or how, do you, how do you approach different scenarios? Also, knowing that sometimes... No matter how great you think your party is kitted out, they say, well, you get two people this round. Yep. Or you get two people on this side and three people on this side. And it'll throw you for a loop. Or you have annoying NPCs you can't control who do stupid things. <laughs> and, you know, you could have used that slot for somebody way, way better. But those are the sort of things you just kind of got to roll with and say, nah, this is how it works in Final Fantasy Tactics. Yeah, I think if you asked 100 different people how they plan out their team, you're going to get at least 80 different answers. And that's why this game is still talked about, because you have those options. You have the full ability to paint yourself into a corner if you're not <laughs> thinking yeah. long enough term. Because especially for those battles with the AI uh, combatants, I always make sure someone has item and throw items so that they can instantly be saved. They don't have to worry about any white mage cure charge time when they die and I need them later. Yeah, that uh, throwing items thing, I just would not have figured that out. Uh. <laughs> yeah, that is how you learn the hard way. It's like, yeah, I have items. Oh, wait, he's two squares away, and now I can't just hand it to him. And I think it's worth pointing out, like, the things that we're talking about here, there is a lot of jank that you have to put up with to get to the meat and potatoes of this game. And mm -hmm. Troy, I don't know how you dealt with it. If I came to this game today and I hadn't played it through my formative college years where I had nothing better to do than figure out how this damn game works, I would probably just close it and move on to the myriad of other things that are available to me. So how did you, how did you find yourself coping with the fact that most of this makes no sense when there you first a, come to it? There was a lot of reading. Yep. Uh, there's a lot of pressing select. Uh, I'd sometimes say, Jen, what's this? <laughs> and she's very helpful with the advice, letting me know uh, what's, what to expect, what not to expect, handy little tips here and there, which are quite uh, useful. Um, I think finding out what to ignore was kind of the toughest part, deciding what's important and what's not. Um, I don't play a lot of Japanese games, but I know that there's some things are kind of interesting and important in Japan that aren't over here. Like z zodiac signs, I guess I'm supposed to care about that, but I don't know when or if, so I kind of ignored that. And I figure that's probably something for a higher level person to worry about. Right now, I'm just going to get my guys alive. I think I played through the opening battles like two or three times just to figure out, make sure I understood the system and understood... Okay, how far can they move? What do these different classes do? Um, when do I start taking people off Squire and giving them real jobs? Because mm -hmm. if you, people who are the same class in the same battle get job points faster, 
if they work together. So if I have like three squires work getting job points in the same battle, they get them faster, I guess, I read. They get a little bonus. Uh, so it's... Because I guess they're I guess they're watching each other. I don't know. It's <laughs> probably there's probably an in-game reason for it. Um, and yeah, the 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 whole NPCs just screwing up my plans. Of I I want to get my mage out there. I want to see a fireball or something. But nope, sorry, you've got like Dalita the loser and Argath the moron standing beside you. So you have you get to pick two other things. Well, I guess I'll take another meal. I take an archer and a chemist. Uh, to go with my hero. Um, how did I do it? Well, I, I wanted to see what the fuss was about, actually. Because as we were pre- prepping for the show, uh, a friend of ours, Jason Wilson, writes for GameSpeed. He's been on the show a few times. He just mentioned out of nowhere that you know, Final Fantasy Tactics is the only Final Fantasy game he's played through and really enjoyed. It's like, okay, it's clearly someone else I know and respect thinks there's something here to appreciate. I don't think I'm going to finish it. It's a tall order. It's a long game. Like e- even any just kind of random walkabout battle could take you 45 minutes if you're not prepared. Yeah. Yeah, easily. This is, I mean, this is why I think Panzer General is an interesting comparison because the way some of the scenarios are built there, they require, you know, hitting hard points. We talk about this all the time. We've mentioned Panzer General, how it's all about getting to the final victory location and pounding it, pounding it, pounding it over and over again. Here, it's not that as much as making sure your army is in the right place to do all of the things it has to do because of line of sight rules and making sure they have enough movement points. And as you mentioned, the idiot NPCs taking up space. There is so much stuff I had to learn and figure out that I just kept one it's I I think it just tugged at the the puzzle solver inside me. I want to understand how this system works. I don't think I understand all of it. I mean I'm never gonna I'm never gonna figure out there are calculators? I get a lot of calculators. Uh this sounds like math is fun. And we know that's a lie. Um but maybe I'll try that out. Uh, but it is this is not you're right, this is not an easy game to get into. Um, this was, you know, part of my research phase, I guess. Now we have other console games coming up uh, this fall, and one of them I've played, and one of them I haven't. Um, so we'll see who draws a short straw for Fire Emblem. But uh, <laughs> it is. I'm trying to think who this would appeal to, because this is a, this is an old game. This is a game that I wonder if you have to grow up with to really get into. For me, this was my Sims. I'd never played The Sims. I still haven't played The Sims, which I get yelled at for a lot. Mm. But when you go to the Warriors Guild and you can draft warriors to join your team, they're all like low-level people, uh, I realized, hey, I can match up these people with my friends' birthdays, with my friends' zodiac signs. I can rename them as my friends. I can then level them up to give them the job that I think they will be best at. And hmm. I was OCD about this. <laughs> so I decided, okay, like who are the six friends I'm going to put in this game and level them up? And I never, ever, in my first two playthroughs, used the AI characters when I didn't have to. It was all about me and <laughs> no, my friends never, never. going out. 
and, uh, and having fun with calculators and archers and monks and dragoons. Though I really wish dragoons were a little more useful. <laughs> they look great. Oh, I've had a lot of fun with dragoons, but They're yeah, that's fun, a... but you know, I wanted them to be like as strong as Kane in Final Fantasy IV, and they didn't quite hit that level of overpowered. I didn't really get much into that. I mean, I knew that I could do that because you mentioned this uh, to me. But I mean, that's what I do with XCOM, right? And mm-hmm. With FTL. You know, I feel FTL with my friends, um, the ones who aren't already in the game, like Bruce Garrick, who's already <laughs> there as an NPC. Uh, and XCOM, of course, I name all of my XCOM commandos after friends. So th- that possibility is, you know, interesting. Um, I think I think the big appeal for this game is... Um, we've mentioned, I think probably four or five obscure mechanics that you don't necessarily need to know to win, but once you get into it, you can start min-maxing it and have a lot of fun with it. There's faith and brave, there's the zodiac signs, there's a lot of other little weird things in there. And I think it appeals to the type of person who doesn't play a lot of games, but finds one game or a subset of games that just has so much that there's enough in there that you could play it for a very, very long time and still be surprised by it. I think there's, you know, I think something like FTL has a lot of randomness that helps it, but after a certain amount of time, you figure out the mechanics and then you move on. But there's always a little bit more in here. You can always be looking up and finding out more cool stuff to do or more different combinations to try or more different things. And some people like that and some people don't. And I think it, it again, it's a, it's, it's a time in your life type of thing. This was college and I just moved into my first apartment and I had nothing else to do. My TV sat on a uh, milk crate and I came home from work and I played Final Fantasy Tactics. I can't do that anymore. And I, um, I, I fire it up once or twice a year and I get maybe a quarter of the way through and then I run out of steam. But if you enjoy just really digging into something that has some meat and is, has a lot more below the surface than you would initially think that this is, this game is, that's, that's exactly where this falls. And I think that's why it still has legs. I think that's why you see re-releases. People still talk about it and it's one of the more highly regarded tactics RPGs out there. Much to my surprise, uh, the Theat Rhythm sequel, which is a 3DS music game, has Lady Agrius as a playable character, <laughs> which is wow, someone I did not expect to see outside of the Tactics that's universe. That's a deep cut. <laughs> I know, I do almost want to, want to buy it who, now. Do you want to explain who Lady Agrius is? Uh, she is the, the protector of the princess who you will spend a lot of time helping and chasing about in this game. And she survives, which made me so happy. <laughs> She's one of the few people <laughs> who makes it through. <laughs> So, Michael, you've been dabbling a bit with the iOS version? Yes, I have. Um, And it's nice because I'm usually on the show when I'm really happy about something and I'm really excited (laughs) to talk about it. (laughs) And I love Final Fantasy Tactics and I'm excited and I really want to talk about it. But I want my $15 back from this piece of shit iOS port. (laughs) I, When I bought this fancy iPad and the promise was everything just works and you load up this app and you don't have to worry about anything, I've never ever had an ios application crash to desktop and i have lost it four or five times with final fantasy tactics and again this is maybe 15 to 20 minutes into a battle it's almost one the screen just stops responding and then back to desktop or pad top or whatever how does this happen (laughs) the controls are awful there's this giant glaring blue menu constantly at the bottom the the touch interface is is you have uh, infinite panning on the camera, which is kind, of, which 
when you when you have the original game, you can only rotate the camera using the shoulder buttons, and you get maybe um, 90 degree turns each time you do it. It's a little limited, and there's a little bit of tilt. Um, and I thought, man, I wish I could just kind of zoom this around. But now I know why they don't let you do that, because when you zoom at the very odd angles where it's not really, um, I guess it would be... Um, orthogonal to what you're looking at but you don't have those sharp angles anymore it's a crapshoot where you press and what gets selected um this was my first uh exposure to war of the lions the new version with the updated uh translation uh i guess i can get past the translation but i was so charmed with the silliness of the original translation which had numerous typos things that didn't make sense uh dragon abilities that were called bracelets or necklaces i think it was I, it, it, it was the game I remember. And now all of a sudden, everyone has this thick Cockney act, accent for oh, uh, Shakespearean <laughs> interpretation of things. I, it took a game I loved and it made it a chore to play. And that made me really, really unhappy and sad. And even $15 aside, which is still a lot for an iOS uh, version of anything, um, man, that's just, it's just a, a, a disappointing port for me. It is. It is universally reviled for being just such a cash-in with no QA. And now they have your money, and that's the way it is. Good thing I don't buy a lot of other Final Fantasy games. Otherwise, I'd be mad that Square has all my money. Yeah, same reason I haven't bought any of the iOS uh, Dragon Warrior games. I just, I know it's going to go badly. Yeah. So let's talk a bit about the plot here, because this is... If we must. <laughs> some weird cultural things going on, and also it fits with the tactical side of the game. Uh, like most strategy RPGs, or like most you know Western RPGs, there are battles in between cutscenes, in between plots. So it's like Baldur's Gate has great huge battles, lar largely plot-related, but some random encounters. There's this larger overarching plot, there are side quests uh, in the Baldur's Gate games, etc. I'm not sure how many side quests there are, in FFT, I know that I spent most of my time sticking to the main plot, um, what I could figure out of it, trying to scroll through the very, very long, boring dot 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 dialogue. <laughs> um, so this is, it's a role-playing game with this huge plot, and I'm trying to figure out how exactly the, whether, how the plot fits with the tactical theme, or is this just standard Final Fantasy writing, and we're giving you a war game in the middle of it. Jen, as a Final Fantasy expert, compare <laughs> this to other Final Fantasy plots, because we both, we all, I think we all agree that the war game side is actually quite interesting, and it's deep, mm -hmm. and it's varied, and you both said you can explore this and rediscover it time and time again. But it's saddled with this thing. <laughs> yeah. That I, I'm, not, I'm not even, I'm sure I'm not even a quarter of the way through. I don't know how far I am through yet. But, so can you just explain, will this ever make sense besides being an, and, and we, we know it ends in tears. Yes, lots and lots of tears and blood and Troy, if it, if, it, I, if it doesn't make sense a quarter of the way through, it just goes off the rails. Yeah. Once the supernatural stuff gets in there. Go ahead, Jen. It's... Troy expressed to me somewhere in the middle of, of chapter one about you know, how dark and sad this was. And I was like, oh, that's so cute. <laughs> you have no idea yeah. what's coming later. Uh, like I know the, the first time I played it through, did not care about the story. I was there for me and my friends beating up whoever the game told me to beat up. Second time through, I tried to start paying attention to the story. Now, if you're only playing the game through the fights and through the cutscenes, you're missing a whole lot. 
when you're at every town, you need to kind of stop at the tavern and read all the little things you can click on. And it's a lot of sitting there and reading. So if you want exposition in this game, you kind of have to go looking for it to understand why this guy is fighting that guy and who's on what side and who died and who left this in the will and who's related to whom and who's the regent. Like, There's a lot going on here, which in the original PSX version, I could not make heads or tails out of. So that's why I found the translation helped me a lot to remember who is who <laughs> and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, the story is basically really sad. There's a lot of senseless death. They, they make a point of showing you sometimes people die and it sucks and there's nothing you can do about it. And like, you can't just go use a phoenix down and change the world, even though it's kind of what you're doing for your own guys. But again, you have all this world-breaking magical abilities that you can't use to actually change the world, <laughs> which is very frustrating. But it's this big, huge war between two sides, each side called the Lion, the War of the Lions and the church, and the church has the biggest role in the game, which you don't see coming in the first chapter and a half. And then, once you start getting the Aura site and the actual Zodiac Brave story, now you start seeing this huge conspiracy that the entire world's involved in, that you're trying to prevent from a new catastrophe coming back. So, are all Final Fantasy plots this convoluted? I mean, it's great that there's this <laughs> setup of this, you know, this reveal, this interesting world building, I guess. I don't know what to call it. Um, I mean, you can, it's, there are a lot of echoes. I mean, Michael said it's kind of a European setting. There are some sort of echoes of European history in places. It's a 50 years war and there's religious stuff going on in the background. So of course my brain out with things, oh, 30 years war, they stab the Holy Roman Emperor in the back and throw out his, throw out his legates and ends up this being this religious fight that devastates Europe. So I'm thinking, okay, there's this, there's some sort of a pseudo echo here, but then it's a Japanese made game. Who knows how much of that is conscious or I'm reading my own experience. I'm just trying to come up with the closest analogy I can to make sense of any of this because most RPG plots you just can't make sense of. This is not unique to this one. But there is just a lot of stuff. I mean, I, I, don't read, I don't read the books in Oblivion, so I'm not going to be reading a whole bunch of rumors in a tavern. I think Western RPGs have trained us not to pay too much attention to rumors in taverns. Mm -hmm. You click just in case they lead to a quest, but generally you just scroll through them. So I'm doing this wrong? I don't think you're doing it wrong because I guess to answer a previous question, does the theme and the plot match up with the mechanics? Um, and I'd say they're happily disjointed because your choices... You, no, no matter what you think of the plot, no matter whose side you maybe sympathize with, the same things are going to happen. You're plopped down on a map. Your guys on this side have to kill all the guys on the other side. Or, in a weird twist, maybe you have to prevent this person from dying or or, or some slight variation upon it. But you're kind of just along for the ride on the plot, and you're there to put your little agents in their places so you can progress further and that may be a failing of the game um it's by no means perfect but you can just sort of ride along you're 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 not you're not missing Macbeth by not going into the <laughs> nooks and crannies here um but it can be satisfying to figure out who who who, who the who the heck are these people um and, and why should you care and I think and correct me if I'm wrong Jen because um like Troy's friend, this is the only Final Fantasy game I've completed um, in all of them. And I've I played a lot of six. 
or three or whatever mm-hmm. you would call that one. Um, but they all seem to kind of end up in a spot where the world is going to end. Yes. Is, is that a common theme? I mean, that's, is that where the most of them go? Is it starts in a small scale and then you realize there's a lot more to this than I thought and the world is about to end? Yeah, the Final Fantasy games or even most, I'd say, JRPGs, it's never a small scale. It starts in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere and then you're saving the universe or like in Final Fantasy IV, you fight the last boss on the moon. Actually, on the second moon, there's two moons. Of course moons. you do. Yeah. So you get in this giant big whale airship, spaceship, go to the second moon to defeat this long-sealed evil. So it's not out of line that this huge conspiracy uh, and, and these very powerful beings exist, but they try to do it in somewhat more of a real way to bring more human uh, frailty into it, like the way the church tried to change the legacy of Saint Ajora to try to base their religion upon that when you become the heretic when you uncover oh wait this was a terrible person who was trying to take over the world using demonic powers and you are the outcast because of that like even Oren the guy who writes the actual version of how the Zodiac Brave story went down and how Ramza kind of save the world he gets hung as a heretic at the end of it and there's nothing you can do about it it's just so depressing that everything keeps going wrong and and the guy who you kind of want to be on the side of the leader for half the game you realize wait no he's also a giant prick who's doing all of this yep, for his own he's a ends. Jerk. and then i don't i don't know and the one guy you like zalbag yeah he comes back as a zombie and you have to kill him yeah like just to re- drive that knife in deeper and he's like yeah you know this kind of sucks i can't fight this control so dear brother you better kill me i'm like oh i don't want to do this and then of course you have to do it because it's the only way to progress in the game but this is depressing oh it it gets even better do you michael do you remember like the very very last scene of the game help me out uh lady agrius gave his princess ovelia a dagger saying that she doesn't quite trust alita be safe fairly well so she goes away. Ovelia and Delita are talking. And basically it ends with them both stabbing each other. <laughs> now, Delita survives <laughs> yeah. this and goes on to rule for another 50 years. And there's still peace in Ivalis. And, of course, you're sitting there going, was all of this really worth it? <laughs> Maybe we should have yeah. just let the world be destroyed instead. <laughs> let the church win with all their demons. So, yes, everybody dies sometimes repeatedly. Because you get to kill Argath again, which I always appreciated. <laughs> yeah. He was really annoying. And this is this takes place in sort of the it's like the side branch of Ivalis, which is a world that I think there's some consistency to because they revisited this in other games. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Uh, Final Fantasy XII takes place in Ivalis. And it is seen. It does seem to be a little bit less airshipy, less dragons everywhere, and a a little bit more quote unquote grounded as far as a setting for a Final Fantasy game. Yeah, they had the very distinct classes of the peasantry and the nobles and the war between them with the church in the middle. Though you kind of wonder in this kind of world, how is anybody making a normal living? <laughs> like you're either fighting or you're dying and there is no... Yeah. Like they mentioned farmers once when they start hinting about there's a famine coming, maybe we should stop the war. And then they ignore mm-hmm. that just as quickly. <laughs> well, that's, you know, the way that games work, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, the peasants are just people you talk to in the street. No one asks them. Maybe they want you to kill an ogre. I mean, that's, uh, and they'll give you a shiny piece of copper for it. But generally, RPGs are about heroes and nobles and 
demons. There's always. Oh, there's lots of demons. Oh, great. Yay, demons. Uh, Michael, in the iOS version, do you have the animated cutscenes as well as the PSP version? Yeah, the cell shaded sort of mm-hmm. um, clearly different than the original. Uh, the, the first one had the, the, the very early 3D rendered kind of cutscenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did appreciate the new, the new updated ones for the iOS version. So the PSP cutscenes, which I actually thought were very well drawn. Yes, yes. because those are they're new. new. They're, they're, those are okay, new. They're, they're, they're not in the original. There weren't any cutscenes at all in the other one, or just there was... There's like an opening or and the a closing little... cinematic. Mm-hmm. That's really okay. it. But like all that princess kidnapping stuff in the beginning was all done in-game graphics with a lot of buttons to press to get through all the text. And I thought, you know, the in-game animations are sprites. Uh, the, the train is rendered in the 3D chunky polygons of the PS1 era, but all the characters are sprites, and they're really well-done sprites. And I, I want to touch on the fact that the sprites and the character art and the design still sticks with me and I think really stands out as one of the strong points of this game. It really... Um, uh, it, it's one of the things that drew it to me in the, the first place um, a long time ago was just how distinct it looks. Even though, for some reason, nobody has noses. Like, <laughs> that's like the artistic conceit is like there's just no noses on faces, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's Final Fantasy. They were beautifully expressive. They could hold objects. Uh, like, it's the first time I'd ever really seen a sprite shrug. <laughs> I thought it was really cool. It's really good shrugging. That's a great point. Excellent expressive shrugging. But lots of frames of animation that might get used once mm-hmm. um, for a, a cutscene done in, in game that wouldn't get used again, uh, which I thought was really well, well done. When I first took a look at the game and I started it, I was not happy looking at these sprites. <laughs> uh, but because I'm not used to them actually being distinctive. Uh, being able to tell immediately what something is or who someone is just by looking at their, I, can, I can tell what the classes are. The classes are so clearly defined from each other mm-hmm. uh, based on what they wear that the sprites, that artistic distinction makes the sprites even more powerful. Plus the overly exaggerated dramatic gestures. Um, the art design uh, with the sprites is a lot better than I expected. I ended up, I'm not going to say liking it, uh, because once again, I'm coming to this 17 years later. Uh, but it, certainly I can appreciate how well done it is for what it is. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I played through the game, I, you did, I don't think you got this far, Troy, where you have to face a dancer, uh, an assassin, I mean. That, it's, that's like chapter three, I think, or end of chapter two that you start seeing assassins. And I was so excited to see this assassin class, first of all, who cast Ultima on me. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. I'm so dead. But that was really cool. Hooray for Ultima being in another Final Fantasy game. And then I got Ultima. It's just a hugely powerful, non-elemental destructive spell. So it hits everybody. You can't really protect yourself against it. It just it hits you and then, and then you die. But... Uh, for the assassin class, I was like, this is the greatest thing. And then I couldn't figure out how to become an assassin. And I was so sad that it was one of those just enemy jobs that you were never going to get to learn unless you had a game shark. So my brother and I went out and bought a game shark. <laughs> so the next time we could play, <laughs> I could be an assassin. And then they still use, when I saw the PSP remake, they had the dancer class, which I mistakenly read as assassin the first time around. And I was very sad to find out that you're just a dancer. You don't get Ultima unless you're learning it the hard way which is by having someone cast it on you. It is annoying that sometimes the enemy characters get toys that you don't get. 
Um, although you kind of get some of it in the end, you get some cool NPCs, including Orlando, who I who the first time you get him at the end of the game, you get this this character that can join your party, and it basically just sort of breaks the game. Um, he's just way overpowered, and if you just if you just want to finish it. Keep Orlando in your party and just sort of steamroll your way to the end. Um, but I think in the the later playthroughs, I just kind of kept him tucked away. I didn't want to get rid of him, but I I, I felt like I, I could do this without him. We can we can do this. But he's there if you need him, which was always nice. Right. Right. Now, for the iOS version, did you ever do any playing around with Onion Knights? Because that's the other class I've not messed around with. No, I don't know anything about the Onion Knights. Um, I wish I could have gotten further with the iOS port, but... Oh, too frustrating. It, it 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 really was too frustrating to the point where I started again finding the disc and putting it in my PS3 and starting up that way. Um, so no, I don't know what the Onion Knight is. That like uh, it's shown, the I'm Onion Knight shown up. up in a couple of other jobs. Like their skill is that they can wear anything. So if you want to give them some of like the female exclusive equipment or male exclusive equipment, you can do that. If they want to use an axe or a shield or a crossbow or a longbow or a polearm, they can do all of that without needing equip swords, equip axe. They can wear all of the things. And they hit decent enough, but they don't really have anything special beyond that. So I have to figure that there's a trick somewhere with the Onion Knights, like kind of like with the calculator, that once you get it, you go, oh, mm-hmm. these guys are great, but I haven't played with them enough to get to that point. And I haven't read anything about it either because I wanted to try and figure it out on my own but failed completely that's a game of thrones reference <laughs> pretty sure this came first <laughs> probably that's that's kind of unusual Ooh, you can Ooh, also you be also a dark, dark, dark yeah it's the 20 kills that's the hardest part because like that character has to deliver the killing blow mm. so i have to ask you guys about grind strategies while we're talking about jobs yes how many people went around hitting their own guys and curing their own guys while there's one enemy cowering in the corner yes. so you could grind more in the same fight? <laughs> yes. yes. The best, okay, so the, That's the, the best way to do it. <laughs> the, the mini game in here is to maximize getting job points in any given fight. And that means mm-hmm. in those rounds where you're waiting for the other guys to come to you, you can have your guy punch your own guy and then yes. he can heal himself or the guy next to him. <laughs> um, so you're just grinding away points, grinding away points. And then eventually you figure out well, the enemy has this this AI tactic where they just run away if they're about to die, which is super annoying if you just want to finish the fight. Or you find a piece of flat ground, you put a monk in the center who has a healing spell that heals in a cross type mm-hmm. shape pattern, and you line everybody up around him and just have them wail on this poor monk in the middle uh, with melee attacks and have him heal. And every time he heals, he gets job points. And every time they hit him, he gets job points. And in 15 minutes, you got, you know, a couple more job point levels for your characters. And you could just do this as much as you like. And because this is before grinding was really, grinding has gone down a lot in games, it seems, but this game is, does not feel bad about making you sit there for an hour and a half, just plunking away at your own guys or doing what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Like later on, you can start getting job abilities where you can gain XP or JP job points upon moving, which yep. is also nice. You start crisscrossing the map. Uh, but generally, yeah, you beat up each other, and it's very, very fun. <laughs> so that's why, like, you know, I'd, I'd put the hockey game on one TV or on the radio, and I'd be playing uh, Final Fantasy Tactics just with my guys hitting each other in the head. 
or you leave on an early early on you get a squire ability that basically doubles your job points and you <laughs> i would have it on most of the game just yeah. just to speed things up a little bit this sounds terribly broken so, oh yeah there's so you could be a broken low level things. with really high job points so right. you can technically get jobs before you can get equipment for said jobs so you can have you can get a dragoon if you're dedicated enough uh in chapter one, early chapter one, and then you'd have to use the knight ability equip swords in order for them to have a weapon to hit anybody with. Because <laughs> otherwise they're just kind of standing there swinging with their fists. Because you can't get a lance until way later. Way later. Mid to end chapter two. Good stuff. <laughs> As I said, there's a lot of really fun broken things that you can do with this game. And this is all completely ignoring the story. I enjoyed looking for these weird little things that I can do. It's like, oh, how many turns is it going to take me to like level up my orator to start, you know, blabbing up to all my teammates to try and raise their their brave or their faith? There's an orator, yeah. a mediator orator. Yeah, they they, they were talking skills. <laughs> you, you can convince uh, enemies to join your team. I think mm-hmm. is one of their abilities. Um, yeah. So that's that's a you know. In most games, that's usually a pretty big swing. If you can take one guy away and gain one for you, that's a good thing. Um, that's my entire Age of Empire strategy. <laughs> get a priest to convert things. Yeah. But of all the annoying enemies to fight, I still find that thieves and knights drove me way more crazy than enemy mages. Uh, it's the worst, because the they can break your stuff. Up, yeah. I got my awesome Genji armor, then a knight would come up, rend armor, and it's like, well, crap, that just cost me everything. <laughs> They'd break your helmet, or, or uh, thieves would do steel heart and charm my ninja, then my ninja would go two-shot my mage, and it's like, ah, oh, damn it. They're, they're, they've been, like, of all the demons and the crazy dragons and stuff that you fight later, those two classes are the ones that gave me the biggest headaches, because knights also had an insane block percentage. So you could be back yeah. attacking them, and they turn around and parry it. It's like, ah, oh, I had you. Now it's going to take me another circle of turns to come and get somebody to hit you from the other side. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff for me to not see in this game. Clearly, I have to be playing it for days and more days and days and days before I saw much. Would you recommend people who haven't, people who, people who listen to this podcast, most of them, I'm sure, have not played Final Fantasy Tactics or haven't played it since the late 90s. Is it something, I mean, I went back and played it. Is it something you'd recommend people check out just on its own merits? Or would you say it was an historical artifact like i think people should look at rise of nations on its own it's a great amazing game civilization 2 or alpha centaur or civilization 2 you know or colonization you know that's something that's an historical artifact but to look at to understand where we've come from is final fantasy tactics a enduring classic or an artifact that shows how great things once were and we've learned from it I think it's the latter and not the former. I love it. I think it's great for me. It, it means a lot to me personally, but I think, and I, I would love to know where you can get the modernized version of this. Um, but if you weren't, if you weren't there to enjoy it in the, in, in, in the moment, I think it would be really challenging. And I don't know if I would recommend it, you know, carte blanche as like, Hey, everyone should experience this. Cause it's not for everybody. Um, but it's, it's, I, I don't know. I, I, like I said, there's a lot you have to put up with 
And I think it's a lot to add in this day where we have so many different gaming options available to us. It's a lot to ask somebody, what, okay, just, just, just wait <laughs> like 15 hours in, you're going to see some really <laughs> cool stuff like that. That is a, that is a tall order and something to consider. But as an artifact, it is a great example of a tactical battle system, um, a player class system just RPG tactics that are a lot of fun. Jen, do you want to make the counter case? Uh, well, see, I own the original PSX version. I own the Greatest Hits version with the lovely green border. That's I the one own, I have. <laughs> I own uh, two PSP versions because I thought I lost one of them and I bought a second one because I could not bear to, uh, to live without this game. And I would, like, if you're interested in the stuff that we've been talking about, I think it, it, is, it is definitely worth playing with the caveat that if you do not have oodles and oodles of time, cheat. <laughs> it is worth cheating, like, because you can, you can give yourself all the JP, all the jobs, just so you can go and explore how to form these different teams. And, and you can have a lot of fun with it. But I, I do agree with Michael that it's not a game for everyone. There is no such thing as a fast battle. Like going into a store, you're still going to spend like 10 minutes weighing pros and cons of, of different items, whether you want magical block or attack block. Uh, it's not a fast game. So if you're willing to play something in larger chunks of time, it is worth picking up. If you don't have the time, it's only going to be frustrating because you're never going to get anywhere. And you'd recommend getting it for the PSP? I, I would, yes. I, I think there, there are enough changes to, to make it worthwhile. And again, the tutorial system saves you a lot of the hard learning. The tutorial system is a lot of menu clicking. Yeah, still a lot uh, of reading. A lot, a of, lot reading. of reading. But when I actually paused to read it, it was quite helpful. Uh, especially for explaining important things like job points. Mm -hmm. That's actually kind of, that is the big thing in this game, right? I mean, there's experience, which is, of course, interesting and valuable, but job points are the real important currency in the game. Yeah, right? that's where it's at. Because, like, HP can be augmented by gear, but job points, that's how you learn abilities to actually do some damage and do some curing. I really want to start taking a look at Final Fantasy Tactics speedrunning, because there are people who can complete oh, the game in like four and a half hours, and I can't fathom how they would do that, or if there's a glitch that they're exploiting to finish the game in that time. Four and a half hours? I don't think I'm, in, I'm done chapter two yet. <laughs> no, I don't think you can get that far in four and a half hours, especially in some of the battles do take 40 minutes mm -hmm. uh, to play. So yeah, you should probably report back on that, uh, Jen. When the, in the in the discussion forum, mm -hmm. how people are doing this, maybe link to some good. Um, yeah, like cause the world record runs are, are on YouTube, so I'm gonna, you know, download a few of those, watch them on the treadmill, and <laughs> see what I can learn. And go, oh, I played this game for how many hours, and I never thought of that. I figure there'll be a few of those moments because, like, maybe they're using some of the AI people in ways that I didn't know you could use. Sure. Or maybe they're just really good with summoners. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so any final thoughts, anything you want to add? Uh, we have not covered uh, Final Fantasy Tactics as a strategy game, as an important thing in your life, as a role-playing game, as a Japan is weird type thing. Oh, I think there are way better ways to figure out that Japan can be weird than this game. I think this is pretty low on the Japanese weirdness scale. Mm -hmm. um, but as, as a parting thought, um, you know, it, it is one of my favorite games I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, I jumped at the chance to talk about it because it's it's just, it, it holds a special place for me. Um, I think if we can plug other podcasts, the the guys, uh, the very well-spoken guys at uh, Watch Out for Fireballs, they do 
uh, run-throughs of, of retro video games. And this counts as retro now because this came out a long time ago. Um, mm-hmm. They did a walk. They did they, they did a two-part walkthrough of the entire game. They both just played it to completion. Um, and I think at least one of them may have done it on the iOS port. So kudos to them. Um, wow. And uh, they had a lot of really interesting and cool things to say about it. So if you want to hear it like step-by-step, step, how does this game go through, go look up that episode uh, and, and give that can, a listen. You can always link. I w- you know what? I'm going to link that in the <laughs> forum post when I put it up tomorrow, which is Wednesday. Very cool. I would say that even if you do not play this game or are interested in it, if you like really good soundtracks, really good game soundtracks, this is in my top 10. I love pretty much every every song in this game. I've listened to them for over 200 hours and I'm still not bored of them. It's, it's a very wonderful orchestral stra- tracks and if you've played the game, each track has a different meaning, the different battle tracks, the church music, everything. It's a really fantastic soundtrack that just complements how deep the game is. Great. Well, thank you, Michael and Jen, for joining me here tonight. Thank you. My pleasure. Uh, as always, the podcast will be uploaded this week, thanks to our guests, and thanks to Michael Hermes, who will be producing and sound editing this. What a guy. Uh, Yay, Michael. He's amazing. You should really meet him. He's uh, quite awesome. Never in the same room at the same time. I don't know how to... <laughs> uh, <laughs> next week... <laughs> if you I, live that long, next I, week I, I, have. <laughs> Troy's next joking week. to death, and we're all laughing about it. Yes, uh, I'm not. Yeah, don't laugh. You, you, you get the podcast in the will. <laughs> uh, uh, next week, I'm not sure what exactly we're doing. We do have a beyond. People are asking. Yes, a beyond Earth podcast will be coming up. Uh, we just have to work out which of our eight thousand people who want to be on that show. Uh, we will invite on. Uh, Thank you all for listening and take care. Good night. Night.